Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas can certainly change markets, but more importantly, they can change the world. And when they change the world, it's usually because of people who are pursuing a path to value. At times it's unconscious. Their unconscious competence making their way along the path. And later on, they look back and they see a pattern has emerged. If they're fortunate, if they're blessed, they see that the pattern has, is something that continues. It's ever evolving. They thought at one time they were pursuing a destination or an outcome, but they realize what they're really pursuing is a full life, a full life of discovery, passion, and purpose. And the reason I bring that all up is I just was uh, introduced by one of the past great conversation speakers to a woman who has certainly had that pattern in her life and continues to do so today. Her name is Bridget Trujillo. Bridget, great having you with us today. Thank you so much, Ron. It's good to be here. Bridget is uh, not only a partner in a law firm, a law firm uh, representing first responders who are near and dear to my heart, as you all know, uh, but also is the founder of something called the Law Enforcement Legal and Wellness Program. And for those of you who have followed The Great Conversation, we've talked a lot about personal resilience. And so we have someone here with uh, extreme competency in both the law and dealing with first responders, a background in law enforcement, which we'll get into in a second, and also giving back her time in this legal and wellness program. So what I'd love to ask you, Bridget, is, and it, it, it's kind of a curveball question. What have you learned about yourself in this journey? Gosh, that's a good question. I just think in the journey of life, I have always, I've learned that, I'm going to say anything is possible, but I guess what I mean is you could do anything that you set your mind to, truly. And that can be, I mean, in my, my, my life, if you look at it on paper, looks like it's taken lots of twists and turns. And yet I'm living a life now where all of those things are like spokes on a wheel that, and the wheel turns very smoothly and efficiently. But with, in my, my opinion, without any of those spokes, this wheel would not turn as well. And so at, at every step you might think, oh crap, that didn't work. But in reality, it did. I, you learned a lesson from it. I mean, we'll, we'll, sure we'll dig into it, but I was on, on former law enforcement and I was on SWAT team. And when I left SWAT team, I was crushed for some, I could tell the story, but I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am today if that hadn't happened. So I guess you could say what I've learned from this journey is that it's all okay and just keep going. It's all okay and just keep going. Spokes on a wheel. I love, I love that metaphor. I really do. I love it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so amazing. You don't have to go into it, but you said you were crushed. What um, did that teach you about resilience, which is what you get involved with today with law enforcement officers. You know, as you're saying, this is landing for me that what I'm doing for law enforcement is providing training for them to, to train in a way that you do for uh, firearms training or any of the high liability stuff. And all, all law enforcement first responders know you have certain areas you train all the time because somebody's called it high liability. It's um, interacting with mentally impaired persons, domestic violence, um, traffic stops, driving, um, firearms, you get lots of training on those things. And so 
in my mind, what I'm creating, not in my mind, what I'm creating is training for yourself and your resiliency in the same way. So that when things happen to you, you, you have your autom autonomic nervous system tells your body what to do, but it's doing it for you. It's not doing it for, because you need to fire your gun. It's that when those things happen to you, how is your body gonna automatically respond? So it's taking like the SWAT training I used to get where we train all the time so that, and the military people know this, you train and you train and you train and you train so that when something happens, you automatically do it. Well, I'm taking these resilience and wellness tactics and putting it into training. And so what I learned from what, what I came out of with the sheriff's leaving the SWAT team was, was just that. Like I, I am not a consequence of a situation and that I can still be who I am regardless of that. Now, sometimes that's really, really hard at the time. I mean, I literally left a party where some of my SWAT guys were there and some other district attorneys that I was working with and something came, like I was told of a story by one of my SWAT guys and it crushed me. I literally left the park. Of course, I didn't want my SWAT guy to see it, but I was like, I had to leave because I was about to cry. And I got in my car and I was bawling, crying. Called my mom on the way home and said, mom, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta quit SWAT team. And she's like, what are you talking about? Of course, she was happy about it, to be honest. My parents were super happy when I left the narcotics unit and SWAT team. But I came out of it thinking, you know what? It doesn't matter what any of these people think of me. It doesn't matter what I know that I've done a good job. I know that I gave my all 100% and that's what matters. So that's what you, that's what you, you know, that's what I took from that. And that's what I think all people can take from situations like that. Really interesting. What brought that uh, brought to mind is a great conversation I had a while back with a pastor. And I know the analogy sounds a little off, but he said, is your theology framed by your circumstances or your circumstances framed by your theology? Mm -hmm. And it sounds very similar to what you just said. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I talk to people and we'll continue to, and we'll more and more all the time, pull up the paradigm, uh, you know, the, the word paradigm. And so that to me, what I hear that it's very similar. Um, it's all in how you're viewing something. And sometimes, you just, you need to change your, your glasses. Um, and it's, it's, it's that simple. And sometimes people want to be able to say, oh, it's that thing. They want to be able to put their finger on that. I do too. I want to be able to say, oh, if somebody could just give me this answer, or if somebody could just point me towards X, or if that or this, or what's well, that person's fault. But in reality, if you change your lens, I mean, I mean, most of the time, the common denominator in any situation is you. That's the only common denominator. And so if you really look at that, and, I'm not, and, I, and what that means is, is you have to do the hard work to, to take a look at that. And then you have to take a hard look at, well, you are the only common denominator. So if you're having a bunch of failed relationships, or if you're having a, a reaction in a, in a certain situation at, as, as an officer you know, regularly, or if something is pushing your button and triggering you regularly the same way. And that, it could be for a mom too. I'm gonna tell you right now, when my kids leave my shoes sitting out, that pushes my button. But the <laughs> only person that can control whether or not I scream about that is me. Yes. And so yeah, I just think it's you take that, it's the paradigm. And that's one of the things, I actually wrote an article that will be published in the June International Association, well, it's the Police Chief Magazine, but it's a magazine for the International Association of Chiefs of Police on how if you apply the seven habits of highly effective people to, for law enforcement, they'll 
um, reduce stress and reduce injury on the job. And it, and it starts with the paradigm, doing the hard work and the deep dive on taking a look at how you're seeing things. And it's not because you're not being acted upon very often. Now, granted, law enforcement officers are acted upon in certain ways, but for most humans, you're very rarely acted upon. Well, th this is fascinating to me and so timely. Uh, again, mm -hmm. with the uh, state of policing in this country um, mm -hmm. and the public's perception of that policing in this country mm -hmm. and the politics around this in our country, very, very um, timely, great conversation um, because what, what you're essentially suggesting, they keep talking about, we've got to retrain, mm -hmm. but, but no one's talking about mindset. No one's talking about emotional IQ. No one's mm -hmm. talking about personal resilience from what I can tell. Do you see that conversation behind the scenes starting to occur? Or are we still going to have to react to it You know, uh, when somebody hits bottom? Uh, I think it's both. Um, I talk to a lot of cops and police chiefs now to you know, get word out about my program. And it's heartbreaking in the sense that all, whatever level, I think I heard a, a one-year rookie one time saying, oh, no, I don't think the job is hard at all. And I didn't know when I was listening to this person being interviewed that they were a one-year, hadn't even been on the force for one year. And when as soon as I heard this person say that, I thought, oh, you must not have done the job for very long. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to make light, laugh at that or make light of it, but it's just a fact that if you're in law enforcement, I mean, just, the, just by virtue of the fact that law enforcement is helping protect you from the things that you don't want to have to see or do every day. And so just those things alone can create, can change who you are as a person. Um, but then if you add to it, the, the culture that they're living in to do that job for you now makes it so much harder. And so I think one is that there's two things I see. Um, one is that they're, they're exhausted, they're worn out, they're tired, there's mental health. This mental health issue is gonna become so huge for law enforcement. I mean, some of the toughest guys I know that I worked with on SWAT team, they ran a webinar with me last week on resilience. And they said at the end of it that, you know, they're tired. And I was surprised they said that. I didn't think they would, they would speak up and say, and I'm proud of them for doing that, that they're, you know, they're saying like, I'm worn out, I'm tired. You know, I just, this has taken so much, too much out of me. And at the same time, there are a lot of people coming out saying, hey, we need to help cops we need to make sure they're okay and we do need to train change some training so let's change the training but what i don't see enough of is action you hear law enforcement officers say i get it you think my job sucks but what are you going to tell me like what am i going to do about it tell me what to do and that's what i'm creating and offering is solutions cops want training they want they want brass tacks tell me what to do check the boxes i mean they're type a people who you know, like point me in the right direction, I'll go. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. And um, at the end of the day, they're human beings. And I think people hear that in the message that's out there, but people need to remember that law enforcement and firefighters and dispatchers, I mean, they're human beings with real emotions and real feelings. They're just not supposed to show you those things. And the less that you show them, the more in danger you get. So I think it's that there's it's both things. There's not enough action and it's a sad state of affairs, but they're starting to be, um, the wheels are starting to move in terms of giving, providing solutions and training plans. I'm kind of fascinated by the approach here. Um, 
I totally get the personality that says, just tell me to do what to do and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that personality. In fact, I am that in my private life. Uh, uh, when I first got married, I had to keep telling my wife, I'm not intuitive on your needs. I'm the guy who <laughs> I will leave my underwear on the floor. I will not wash the dishes. I just haven't done that as a bachelor. So do, do me a favor, just give me a checklist. And she goes, but you should want to do it. And I go, just give me the checklist. Yeah. So, yeah. so I get checklist personalities and yeah. it can be very effective. But, mm -hmm. but is that gonna be enough to help them create that uh, autonomic response that under pressure? that they need? Um, yes, because now I cannot cite you a, 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 re, a study on this specific type of training in terms of how the, the brain will respond. But what I know is that when you train the brain how to react, something brain, the brain reacts to something. So I'll give you an example that does not have anything to do with resilience. There's a guy that just two weeks ago heard this story that you get trained on how to disarm people um, so how to take a gun away. One of, one of the things I can tell you for sure. First of all, I don't want to be in that situation. Second, I really don't want to be in how to take a knife away from somebody. But so if we're just talking about how to take a handgun away from somebody and we're not on video here, but it's just quick that you just turn the gun around and you get it out of their hand, bend, bending it basically out of the weak side of their hand and on the thumb webbing. And when you train for that, you take it away, then you give it back and you do it again. And you do that over and over and over again. Well, what happened is a guy was in that scenario. He's in a fight. Somebody got his gun. He disarmed the guy, got the gun from him and gave it back because that's how they trained. So visualize you're in this fight and somebody's holding a gun on you and, oh my gosh, you take the gun away from them. But because of, because in your training over and over and over again, oh. you give the gun right back so you can repeat the tactic. That's what he did in real life. Oh and so- what I'm saying is to create training where now from an agency perspective, what I mean is that you create training where you piss somebody off. Sorry for the language, but that's what you do is you're going to piss somebody off and then you start to train them of how they respond being pissed. Now I'm saying this can apply. This applies in law enforcement. This can apply as a wife. This can apply as a mom. You can do this, but, and sometimes it's just visualizing. Like when I was on the SWAT team, we would have days where we were in a classroom and we visualized and talked through scenarios of how we would handle it all day long. And we would take turns and they would change the facts of Bridget, your turn, Gaynor, your turn, um, Mac, your turn, and talk about the scenarios. What would you do if you were second person in line, fifth person in line, and talking them through. I'm, if, just imagine if you had a supervisor who would take, make sure each month he got to everybody on his, his squad and said, okay, let's talk through something that happened for you this week that kind of sticks out. Now let's talk that through. Won't be bad, won't be good. Now, you know, let's talk about something that, how that could have gone differently. And then the next time you go to training, you're going to respond differently because your brain holds on to it. And I'm saying, you know, earlier we were having a conversation, like if you, let's say you decide you want to learn Spanish, you don't just take a Spanish class and check the box and say, got it. I know Spanish now. No. You have to work on Spanish for a very long time. I also said I've been learning English since I was an infant. I feel like I'm still learning English, proper English, and how you know where the comma goes and all that. So um, it's no different with personal resilience. And, and when I say training yourself, I'm not saying you're training yourself to become someone you're not. I'm saying you're training yourself to use the skills you already have, just to be able to use them in a moment when 
you feel less in control or when you're you have an adrenaline dump and you can no longer like your your body's focusing on survival so that your you the tech that the words you use or your mannerisms or your um, body language that you can train your body to you be to to do it in a way like if you could visualize how would you want to react in x situation x situation and then you, you describe it okay great let's train for that i mean it's it's the autonomic nervous system works i mean we don't control it so it works so today they, you said you went through that training, but most cops don't, is that what you're saying? Most cops don't get SWAT training, SWAT level training. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most cops don't get the, and depending on, it's very different by, by yeah, every department on, on how much training, like how often do they make you qualify? I mean, there are probably rules by state on how much there are. I know that about, but it's different for every state, about how many hours you have to shoot your gun and what, you know, what level you have to qualify and all that. But in terms of like that psychological training, like we do on SWAT on visualizing how you do things. Um, no, that's, that's higher. That's, uh, I, would, I mean, I, I want to consider myself elite, but I would say elite level training, like a SWAT team or something like that. Um, I mean, but professional, it's no different than what professional athletes do on their visualizing success. Yeah. Picture yourself making that uh, free throw. I think Shaq probably should have done a little more of that training on making a free throw. <laughs> but I love oh, Shaq. He's but, just horrible at free throws. So another curveball question then. Um, I'm going to, uh, from two perspectives, one, the leader of a law enforcement department, mm -hmm. and two, the other perspective would be a law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. And here's the question. How, what, what are the signs what are the signs that I need this kind of training for myself and others? What are the signs? And if I did go through that kind of training, what would be, um, what would be the positive outcomes of that experience? Well, who needs the training? Everyone on the job. There's no sign. To what, there, but no signs. For example, I'm seeing my people do this. I'm seeing my people do that. What are, are there any signs? That uh, well, yes. Yeah. You know, that's hard because, I mean, we've seen some bad things happen in the last year about some, you know, the, the George Floyd incident where were there some signs with that officer? Maybe, probably. I haven't seen his file and I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to go down that well-traveled road right now, but um, yes, there are signs, um, and it all depends upon, some of it de de depends upon personal observation. So it requires supervisors being on calls and being present and being out there to see how are they physically reacting to things? Because the way somebody is physically reacting to things and all of the words they choose don't make it into a report. Yes, they have body cams, but there's only so much, I mean, how much manpower does it take, especially depending on the size of an agency on, on them looking at all this body cam footage. Like I know, for example, I live in Houston and my understanding is that with the Houston Police Department that they do have some people that sits down and looks at all these, these this camera footage. But that is most often in times when you hear, you hear about things like they're getting in trouble for something. So somebody sits down and looks at all the video footage and then they get in trouble for that thing. Oh, and they get in trouble for all the other words that they used that they weren't looking for, but somebody sat around and actually looked at the video. 
but I don't like that scenario because I'm pro I'm, I'm, I look at things more from the officer perspective than the agency perspective. Okay. But what I can say is that the job has micro stress stressors every single day, period. It's a fact. Things like somebody screaming at me when I show up to help them on a 911 call when they, you called me and I'm going to show up and help you, but I show up and you start screaming at me the second you open your door, I'm still going to help you, but that still sucks. Um, the time I saw the brain matter of a two-year-old and the only way that I knew where he came from is I had to follow the red and gray drips on the sidewalk back to the house that he came from and because somebody had carried him and they were too frantic to tell me where he had come from. I mean, you don't unsee those kind of things. You don't, you don't, somebody's screaming at you, you're still going to do your job, but all that creates micro stressors and every single human being deals with that in a different way. I might be able to bottle that up in a much different way than the, the person that rides in my patrol car with me. And just because I might not show you signs does not mean you shouldn't get this training because what it teaches you is on an individual level, what you can do for you. Mm. Like I tell people with this program, invest in you. Don't invest in the new pants. Get the new pants if you want them. Don't invest in the new duty belt. Don't invest, whatever. If you want all those things, get them. But, but you, you're not investing in you. And that's what you need to do. So from a, an agency perspective is do it for all of them. Just like you can't just pick which officer is going to get firearms training. You can't pick which officer truly needs wellness training. And then what is the outcome? The outcome is... Um, a silly example is I've done this program that is about um, it's a nutrition and exercise and sort of lifestyle. And I'm one of those checklist people too. So I signed up for it because I can check the boxes. It tells me like, here's all the food. If you want to, if you want a food program, here it is for the week. You don't have to use it, but here's what we recommend. Here's the workouts you should do. Here's the, the tells me exactly what to do. And most of the time I do exactly that. Why? Because I know it's going to, it's getting to me how I want to, it, it gives me everything I need from a nutritional level, from an exercise level. And so what the program does is it gives you the little bit, these, these, um, I, want to say, I keep saying micro, but these micro successes that you're succeeding in little bits all the time. And I'm going to tell you right now, not because I want you to sign up for my program for the rest of your life, even though I do. Um, I want you to understand that I've been doing, like, for example, I've been doing yoga for 16 years. There are things that come up in yoga that like, I'll get tomorrow that hasn't landed with me for 16 years. And that's what wellness training is. It's lifetime training because you also change as a human. I'm not the same person I was when I was 20 something, when I got into law enforcement, I'm not the same person I was with my first child versus my third child. I mean, it all changes. So it's a, it gives you um, solutions, tips, tricks, techniques to, feel better on a daily basis. Which should speak to all of us, not just all law enforcement officers. Right. Be a lifelong learner and an mm -hmm. investor in your constant path to becoming. Mm -hmm. Very nice, very nice. This has been a great conversation with Bridget Trujillo and uh, we will definitely put a link into the podcast description uh, of your website so law enforcement officers can find you uh, because it would be an investment well worth it in their lives. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Ron. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It has been a great conversation.